This is chapter six of You Are Not Alone, the doorposts of your heart. I'm the reason you sick ones pray to God as they lie there still. I'm the reason they cry out because I kill. Hello and welcome to You Are Not Alone, a 1v1 horror actual play podcast. Each episode, I sit down with a guest and play a one-on-one horror game. I use a questionnaire in advance to establish lines and veils, and also personal fears that the guests might want to explore. This lets me tailor the session to them in an intensely personal way. If you're interested in being a guest, please reach out. I'd love to hear from you. Before I talk about this week's episode, I want to mention a few things. First, if you like what you hear and want to help support this podcast, there are a few ways you can do that. The first is rating and reviewing the podcast on any podcatcher that allows them. This really helps other people find the show. Second, I have a Patreon and Ko-Fi, both under Blaine C. Martin, all one word. There are a decent number of expenses that come with running a podcast, between equipment and hosting fees, and every dollar that comes through Patreon or Ko-Fi really goes a long way towards covering those costs. I have a meeting tomorrow with a good friend to finalize plans for a Patreon-exclusive podcast called Haint Misbehavin'. And I have two tabletop games that will be going up on Patreon within the next few days. Becoming a backer will allow you access to before anybody else. On that topic, last year I wrote a game called Born of Briar and Blood for the 200-word RPG contest. It was a finalist there, and I am really honored to say that an extended version of the game will be appearing in the May issue of Gauntlet Codex. It's a really interesting little game where you play bogey creatures facing the loss of their power in a modernizing world. Expanded it out to about 3,000 words for Codex Hunger, and I'm really proud of the way the game plays. It's being illustrated by Cecilia Ferry, and I cannot wait to see what they do with the game. If you want to pick up a copy, it will be available to Gauntlet Patreon backers, $5 and above. Head over to patreon.com slash gauntlet for the entire month of May. A few months after that, it will be available on DriveThruRPG. I'll be sure to let you know when that happens. If you want to get in touch, please feel free. I'd love to hear from you if you have questions, have comments, you want to be a guest, anything at all. You can get at me at EsmeraldaPod on Twitter, or email me at Blaine, B-L-A-I-N-E, at YouAreNotAlonePod.com. So this week, I'm playing Dogs in the Vineyard with Ennis Rook Bash. I will let Ennis talk a little bit more about themselves before we play, so I'm going to talk briefly about the game. Dogs in the Vineyard is written by D. Vincent Baker of Apocalypse World fame. The game came out about 15 years ago and remains a game we talk about in the indie game world. In it, you play one of God's watchdogs, or dogs for short. These are followers of the Lord of Life who are sent out from the temple to travel the territory, visiting communities to baptize newborns, bury the dead, deliver mail, and occasionally exercise demons. The setting is loosely based on pre-Utah Mormons of Deseret. The mechanics are fascinating. You roll pools of dice based on the type of conflict, your personality, your equipment, your relationships, and then bid against one another, adding to the narrative of the conflict. Based on the number of dice you need to use to see the other player's bid, it dictates whether you turn the blow back on them, block it, or suffer fallout. 
all conflicts are handled this way, whether it be an argument, a fistfight, or a shootout. It's a little tough to get the hang of at first, but it becomes a really interesting and robust system for intertwining mechanics and narratives, and I really love it. A warning. This episode features brief talk about physical abuse against children. No actual description of it, though. And later, we'll feature the description of the aftermath of the torture of a handful of adults. If any of these things are difficult for you, I just wanted you to know. So with all that out of the way, let's jump in. This week, I'll be playing with NS Bash. Hey, Hey NS, how's it going? Hey, I'm really excited to be here and be taking a break from my grad school studies. I know that feeling well. Mm Mm-hmm. So, really quick before I start playing, why don't you tell folks where they can find you and what you've been up to? Yeah, so I am a game designer slash poet slash novelist. Uh, My new chapbook, Not Girl But Knife, which is about gender and speculative fiction, is available on Kindle Unlimited. And my game portfolio is at ennisrook.itch.io. And on Twitter, you are... At ennisrookbash. Excellent. So why, to start out, why don't you tell us a little bit about your dog? Oh, alright. So, this character, who I've been wanting to play for a while, goes way back. Um, back when Fantastic Beasts came out, I was like, well, you know, J.K. Rowling is hysterically problematic, and it's disgusting that she's cast Johnny Depp in this, but the wizard cops are basically just dogs from Dogs in the Vineyard. <laughs> um, and so I will be playing Remembrance Blue Bradshaw. She is a, she's a very new dog. She's like a puppy, maybe 19, 20. And her parents were possessed by demons and evil. And she was basically raised and mentored by the dog who rescued her. Excellent. Does that dog have a name? Um, hmm. Let's go with, what's a good name? How about uh, Jeremiah Locke? Jeremiah Locke. And I'm going to write that down. Jeremiah Locke. That is a good name. Thank you. And Remembrance uses she, her pronouns? Yeah, she, her pronouns. Because this is analog 1700s Utah or whatever. Yeah, I think if you tried to use they, them pronouns in that time period, you would be exercised. (laughs) so yeah um do you want me to go through her uh stats traits relationships yeah if you want to do that real quick just so i have an idea yeah um so i picked complicated history due to you know the whole parents possessed by demons and growing up in an orphanage with a frequently absent parent figure thing um so Acuity 4d6, body 2d6, heart 5d6, will 4d6. She's tiny. She's not very buff. but She's a good shot, but she's tiny. And her traits are, I believe the best of people, 2d4. I grew up in an orphanage, 1d10. I've got an unmemorable face, 2d6. I'm stubborn as a mule, 1d10. And good old, I'm a dog, 2d4. Relationships, my mentor who practically raised me, 2D8. And for belongings, we've got uh, my mentor's revolver, we've got a horse, single-shot pistol, 
and a faded pastel calico feed sack coat patterned after a map of the country. That is fantastic. Thank you. I lo- like those, you know, those feed sacks they used to have during the Great Depression with like the pastels. Yeah, I read an article about that a couple years ago, and it's just kind of beautiful in a strange, sad sort of way. Yeah. Like, I'm a very visual person, and if this wasn't a one-shot, I would make a Pinterest. I might make, like, an aesthetic, though. I I have done many Pinterest boards based on roleplay games. Oh, yeah, like, I have just so many gorgeous Pinterests for... You know, campaigns that ended terribly or just completely fell apart. And it's like, well, at least I've got a very aesthetic corner of the internet right now. That's true. At least you have a place to go and look at pretty things. Yep. Certainly better than Twitter most days. (laughs) I love Twitter. It's fucking terrible. It is. I have such a hard time not going there all the time. But then I do and I'm like, why... Why am I here? Yeah. It's like, hey, everything's horrible. The world's going to hell. There might be job offers here. Yeah. All right, so let's jump in. Remembrance is on her way to the town of Titus Bend. You have some mail to deliver, babies to baptize. And Titus Bend has not been visited by a dog. In quite some time. The snow is falling. It has been snowing for what feels like weeks. The road has snowed over. The trees loom in around you. We're going to start off with a conflict. Oh, super. So this is going to be physical, but not fighting. Alrighty. I do have multiple guns, so... If it needs to escalate, it can escalate. But we'll start with body and heart. Alright, so that is 2d6 plus 5d6. That's a lot of d6. That's so many d6. Do I have... Alrighty. Oh, I've got three fives, two twos, and a one. It's a pretty good pull. These are pretty good dice. So I am rolling four d6 because this storm has a body of four, but it has no heart. All right. And I'm rolling one d10 because there are foul creatures about. Mm, great. <laughs> so the way any kind of interaction in Dogs in the Vineyard works, is whoever is starting the conflict... So you in this case, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. ...will put forward two dice. And then the other player will have to see that number. If you see it with one die, you can reverse the blow and get the edge up on your opponent. Okay. If you see it with two dice, it's pretty much a neutral outcome, you block or dodge whatever's happening. Alrighty, that makes sense. And then if you have to use three or more dice to get that number... Then you're, like, a little fucked, probably? Yeah, it's called Take the Blow. (laughs) And it means that at the end of the fight, there will be fallout. Thumbs up emoji. So the storm is raging, 
and it begins to hail and sleep. And the storm is coming at you with a nine. Okay. Well, I've got see with uh, two fives. Perfect. So now you get to say how you block or dodge what the storm All right. is doing. So... My horse Molly is very opinionated. She's a bit of an asshole. You know, she bites, but right now it's good that I'm on her because she's picking her way across the frozen ground really carefully and, you know, resisting any attempts by remember to hurry her up. She's not going to slip. Excellent. So now you put two dice forward and I have to see them. Yeet. That was a ten. Can you? Can you do that or...? All right, so I am going to put forward two dice. Uh-huh. It's going to be an 11. Well, I can do a 10. I can do a 10 with four dice. That's probably not good. No, you can invoke some of your equipment. All right. Yeah. So you have that coat? I do have a coat, and I have a horse who's nasty. That is true. So you can roll the dice for your coat and your horse. Oh, thank God. Let me grab some more dice. That is one. So that's 3d6. Ooh, two fives and a six. So I can see your 11. You can. Boom. Nope, come on, horse. We're going to keep going. We're not going to let this weather stop us. I don't want to freeze to death out here. Because we've got work she, to do. Excellent. So you put the, put the boots to the horse, pull your coat closer, and you ride through the storm. And the storm backs down. Oh, good. So tell me about Jeremiah Locke. All right. Where should I start? Maybe the beginning. Hmm. All right, so remember, eight years old, oldest child of like five, because this is Utah. Parents haven't been putting food on the table. They've just been, you know, hitting the kids and going out to the woods at all hours of the night to build a bonfire and dance around it. And she comes home from, let's say, doing her chores and... You know, one of her, her mom has like picked up one of the little boys and she's shaking him and remember is, you know, ready to just grab a teapot and throw it and footsteps in the doorway, shadow of a dog looms across the floor. What seems to be the problem here, miss? And before any of the kids can come to harm, he exercises the demons and takes the parents into custody. Awesome. So here she is, just like this little kid who's grown up on stories of dogs, and one of them has just saved her life and the life of her siblings. So, you know, they're scared and kind of shy, but she, like, puts her little hand in his, chattering a mile a minute, and by the time he's taken them all to the orphanage, she's like, all right, all right, all right to you. He's a loner, he's a drifter, she made him be her friend. Beautiful. So the storm begins to calm, and for a moment, Remembrance thinks that she sees 
a campfire and hears voices that could be her parents' voices. But then it's gone, and so is the storm. And ahead of you, you see a village. All right. You see Titus bend. Around the village is a makeshift fence. Looks like it wants to be a wall, Mm -hmm. but it's winter, and they could only do this really quick slap-job fence. And where you imagine the path would lead up to, there's a small gap, and there are two people standing at the gap, a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. Both have rifles over their back, pistols on their hips, and you see three visitors, a man, a woman, and a child. All right. Speaking to the people at the gate. You're too far off to hear what they're saying. But you see the man who is who is obviously a visitor reaching into his pack and pulling out some papers and showing them to the two people at the gate. Um, so since the storm is dying down, maybe they can hear me. So Remembrance is going to be like, um, hello, I'm, um, I'm Sister Remembrance. I'm the dog. Um, I have, uh, mail. And she's like sort of... Holds up her bag, waves it a bit, almost overbalances. The, uh, they all kind of turn and look at you. Hello. Sorry, uh, sorry to interrupt. The man with the rifle on his back and the pistol on his hip says, Oh, that's, that's quite all right, sister. We've been expecting you. Um, all right, uh, good to know, um. So, how are things? I mean, besides besides the weather, obviously. Um, may you go with God's grace. You as well, sister. Things are... all right. And he turns back briefly to the three people waiting at the gate. He inspects some paper, hands it back, and turns to the, the woman standing with him. Mm-hmm. And he says... Sister Eleanor, would you take these fine folks to the visitor's lodge? And she nods, and then she nods at you a, a goodbye, and she motions for the three to follow her. And they scurry off through the snow, their tracks behind them. And the man offers out his hand, and he says, I'm Brother Harlan. Sister Remembrance Blue Bradshaw, pleased to make your acquaintance. Pleased to make yours as well. We've been waiting for a dog for quite some time. Things all right in town, or just the usual? You know, we have bits of hard luck here and there. But we've been making do. I'm sure it can't, can't be easy with the weather and all that. And, and you've got, you know, enough food and all that, and enough warm housing for all your people. Uh, I don't... There's no letters I need to send with regards to that? None that I know of. You may want to speak to uh, Brother Jebediah. He's the the leader in he- these here parts. And Sister Margaret over at the inn. Mm-hmm. They may have uh, more information on that. As far as I know, food's good. All right, um... 
you know, um, I don't know if I want to bother Brother Jebediah this late at night, um, so perhaps if you could point me to the inn, I could make the acquaintance of Sister Margaret and then maybe meet with Brother Jebediah first thing tomorrow morning. Certainly, certainly. If you, uh, he kind of turns and looks towards the village and chuckles and he said, I was going to tell you to follow the path. The path <laughs> snowed over. If you just head up straight the center of town. Straight the center of town. Uh-huh. There'll be uh, a crossroads there. And uh, on the far left side, that's the inn. Straight the center of town. Crossroads. Far left side. Inn. Straight the center. Straight center town. Crossroads. <laughs> and she's still, you know, mumbling to herself as she, as she, you know, turns the horse and heads off. All right. So you follow. It's not a big... Titus Bend is not a big town. Two roads. So you follow the what would be the path. She has to, you know, like, look at her hands to see which way is left, which way is right. Maybe, you know, take off one of her gloves just to make sure. As you're, as you're figuring out which one makes the now, you see what is very obviously the end. And you see Sister Eleanor leading those three visitors to a building down the road to your right. Alrighty. God be praised. We're not going to have to sleep outside tonight, Molly. Molly's the horse. So there are a couple horses hitched outside then, but there's space for Molly. Yep. Give her a pat on the nose. She tries to bite me as always. (laughs) Of course. She is a mean old horse. Mm Mm-hmm. So you head into the inn. The first floor is just one large open space. You see off to your right stairs leading up, you imagine, to the rooms. And there are, let's say, eight tables spread throughout and a door to what is most likely the kitchen. And four of the tables have folks sitting at them mm-hmm. enjoying a hot meal. Um... I guess I'm going to go up to one of the tables and be like, um, um, excuse me, I'm Sister Remembrance Blue Bradshaw. I'm the dog who just arrived in town. Um, I was told to make the acquaintance of Sister Margaret, if you could perhaps point me in her direction. This looks like a family. It's, uh, a man, a woman, three children. And the man says, oh, certainly, Sister, Sister Margaret's in the kitchen getting some food. You can pull up a seat with us, and uh, she'll be out in a jiff. All right, thank you. Um, Do you and your family live here in town? We do, we do. I'm Brother Bartholomew. My great-grandfather was one of the founders of Titus Bend. Oh, goodness, that's a very impressive legacy. Well, thank you, thank you. He, he blushes a little bit. Um, I am, you know, trying not to stare at everybody else's soup. It looks decent, at least. It's a little thin, but that's to be expected. It's soup. It's deep into winter. But it's soup. It is, and it's warm, it's steaming. And after a moment or two, a woman, maybe in her 60s, Mm -hmm. comes out of the door carrying a few more bowls. Oh, um, hello, um, excuse me. Hi. 
sorry. She smiles at you warmly. She drops the bowls off at a table in the back. And she comes over and she says, oh, you're, you're new here. Um, yeah, um, I'm the, I'm Sister Remembrance Blue Bradshaw. I'm a dog passing through. Um, I was well, told by the people at the gate that it would be important to make your acquaintance. It is mighty fine to meet you, Sister Remembrance. We certainly have some babies that need bap- baptizing. And some mail that needs to go off. Oh, and, um, yes, I have, uh, some mail that, uh, needs to be delivered as well. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. You can, uh, you can leave it with me. I can sort it out, and most people pass through here at some point in the day. Um, ooh, what do I roll to see if she's being sketchy? That would be a non-physical conflict. So, heart plus so acuity? So, acuity plus heart. Alright. I don't have that many. Do I? Oh my god, do I have that many dice? I do. I have exactly that many dice. Perfect. So, two sixes, couple of threes, couple of twos. A lot of threes and a lot of twos, actually. So, two sixes, three threes, four twos. Perfect. I, I would also say you could roll I'm a dog. Alrighty. So that would be 2d4. So that's a 1 and a 4. Awesome. So you are initiating this conflict. Yep. So you put forward two dice. Alrighty. Let's go with a 6 and a 3. So that's 9. That is a pretty good start. So what do you, what do you ask her to try and suss out if she's being sketchy. Oh, well, you know, I'm sure I can manage. I mean, it's a small town and it doesn't seem like, you know, people would be going too far from the center of town this year weather. She gives you that smile again and it's comforting. It's nice to see such a welcoming face. Mm-hmm. And she says, well, it's no bother. I really, I, I don't do much other than cook the soup during the day. But most people stop in and see me. She's going to see you with two dice. Uh, and it's a 12. Ooh, can I match that? Hmm. I can get a 13 with three. That would work. You would get a little bit of fallout. Alright, 13 dice with three. So what do you say to her? Um, well, you know, it's I'm supposed to... As a dog, it's my duty to deliver the mail, and I wouldn't want to trouble you when I've got something I'm supposed to do. She's going to back down. She can't see that 13. <sighs> okay. But I've got, no, gives... but I've oh, got no idea if she was just being, you know, passive-aggressively polite, or if she, you know, actually wanted to spy on the mail. I'm going to give you because you won that conflict. She gives you that smile one last time. And it seems, the more you look at it, at first, it was comforting. But it's almost like a sheen of grease on the top of a bowl of soup. Ooh. It gets oily, and it just feels uncomfortable. 
Well, that's put Remembrance off for dinner just a bit. And she says, can I get you anything? Oh, um, gosh, I should probably ride along to Brother Jebediah's house. I was told he's the leader of this town and I should speak to him. But, you know, if you could tell me where the addresses of these houses are where I'm supposed to deliver the mail, that would be much obliged. Oh, certainly. And she can give you... You've got to go through the various addresses. Mm-hmm. And she gives you uh, directions to each of the house. And she's probably, you know, writing... <laughs> Remembrance has to, like, write this down because she doesn't understand geography. You know, that's why the back of her coat is a map. No sense of direction otherwise. So she actually, she tells you... She draws a little sketch of the town. Again, it's basically, it's just two roads. Mm-hmm. And kind of X's where the various houses are. Oh, nice. And she tells you, we have a we have a room upstairs. I'm, we have five rooms upstairs. Don't get many visitors oh, in this kind of winter. Oh, of course, I understand. So you're welcome to one of them. No charge. No charge for dogs here. Thank you. Um... You know, I've left my horse outside. If you could see to her, that would be much appreciated. I'll just, I'd, I'd like to be along to see Brother Jib die before it gets to be too long after sunset. I'm sure people go to bed early this time of year. Certainly, certainly. What were your siblings' names? Ooh, how many, how many siblings did I say Remembrance had? I think it was four. Five, four, yeah, oldest of five. You said five. oldest of five. Oh, alright, let's go with, hmm, Worth, boy, little younger than she is, Purity, girl, and then Mark and John, twins, really little, both boys. Sister Margaret turns towards the kitchen door. She yells out, Worth, Worth, get out here. And a boy, maybe 10, 11 years old, comes out of the kitchen Mm-hmm. Sister Margaret says, go see to the new horse outside. And worse, shoulders kind of slump a little bit, pulls on a coat, and goes out to see to Molly. <sighs> Rem- remember, cares a lot about kids, so she's going to be like, she bites, watch your fingers. Sorry. He kind of looks even more dejected <sighs> and goes out into the cold to deal with the biting horse. Yep. And Sister Margaret takes the makeshift map she made for you. Mm-hmm. And makes another X and says, that's a Brother Jebediah's house. All right. Thank you. Mighty welcome. Tomorrow maybe we can talk about babies that need baptizing. Yes, of course. It's not only a duty, but also a pleasure to be helping with that. Wonderful. I know many, many parents will be excited that the souls of their babies will be pure. And she goes back to the kitchen to work on the soup. All right, so she's going to, you know, button up her coat all the way again, try and stamp some feeling back into her numb toes and step out into the snow again. Awesome. So you head out of the inn. You see Sister Eleanor, the other guard. Mm-hmm leaving a building down the road and heading back to the gate. All right. I'm, you know, give her a polite wave. Evening.
she gives you a wave. She doesn't say anything. And she heads to the gate where Brother Harlan is waiting. So you're heading to Brother Jebediah's house? Yep. So Brother Jebediah lives at the end of the main street that you Mm -hmm. came down. So you kind of hang a left out of the inn. (laughs) And she asks, you know, take your gloves off, check which one is left again. You see uh, Worth kind of wrestling with Molly. Molly, stop that. Get. Be good. At that, she stops her rearing, and Worth can kind of easily get her around the side of the building to the stable. And he looks appreciatively at you. Oh, Molly, what, what would Brother Locke say if he knew his horse was being so naughty for his own daughter? Well, you're a horse, but I want you to think about that and be disappointed. There's a glint of almost understanding, and she lowers her head. (laughs) And you figure out which way is left, and you head on down the road. You notice most of the buildings here are on the smaller side. Mm -hmm. Little, not hovels, but most of them are one story. You would wager maybe two rooms. And as you get to the end of the street, because of the smallness of the other houses, Brother Jebediah's house looks gaudy. And it's not gaudy by the standards of the temple, but it's gaudy in comparison to everything around it. It's two stories. It's probably... One one of those stories is probably the size of six or seven houses. Gee whiz. Of the houses around it. Most of the windows are dark, but you see two windows on the first floor that have light coming out. What do you do? Um, stamp her feet on the doormat a couple times, trying to get a little bit of the snow off. Uh, shake out her fingers, knock on the door. Till somebody answers. Just like pro- getting progressively louder. It takes a little while. But after the maybe fifth knock, you do hear someone inside starting to move towards the door. And then after maybe the twelfth knock, the door opens. Hi there. Uh, hope I didn't get you out of bed, sir. I'm Sister uh, Remembrance Blue Bradshaw. I'm dog passing through. Just one of me, I'm afraid. Oh, a dog. I was told I ought to make your acquaintance. Well, I'm very glad you did. Brother Jebediah is tall. Maybe 6'3", 6'4", and heavy, but well-muscled. Kind of like your stereotypical lumberjack. (laughs) And he's wearing very plain clothes. Got a homespun white shirt, tan pants, thick boots. And he says, well, Sister Remembrance, why don't you come out of the cold? Oh, yes, please, thank you. And I don't suppose I'd, I, it might be rude of me to ask for something to eat, but, you know, of course I'd never turn down a cup of tea. Oh, we can get you some tea. And I'm sure, I'm sure there's some food left over from dinner. Thank you. Now, I've, what- been, I've been writing for many days now, and my own supplies have run, started to run a bit low. Oh, well, we'll definitely have to get you restocked before you leave. My wife's a hell of a cook. 
heck of a cook. Oh, I was I was wondering who else this whole house was for. Well, you know, my family's run this town for generations. Oh, yes. And my little clan's not quite as big as some of the previous ones mm-hmm. that built up this house. But I got three children. Oh, how, how old are they? He says, well, Titus, my oldest, is 12. And then my twins, Mark and John, they're nine. And she kind of, you know, like, unrolls the sleeves of her cuffs so that it covers her hands, shivers a little, pretends it's just the cold. Brother Jerebediah takes a step back and motions for you to come in. All right, thank you. Um, do I have any mail for him? Yeah, we'll say there's a couple official documents. Mm-hmm. I root around a little bit, you know, in my in my satchel, try and smooth out the most crumbled ones before I hand them over. You hand them over, and they're the kind of documents that require a signature. Mm-hmm. Uh, census forms, tax forms. Standing there awkwardly while somebody else signs something is universal, no matter the time period. It's true. It's very awkward. Jebediah takes... I don't know what kind of writing technology was available at this time period in U.S. history. Uh, but we'll say, like, a expensive pen and signs the papers and hands them back to you. His hands are enormous as he puts the small pen back into his pocket and hands the papers over. Mm, totally not intimidated. Yep, everything's fine. And he calls out, Miriam, Miriam, come out here. Meet, meet the Sister Remembrance, the dog that's in town. And a, uh, a woman, you, you cannot even imagine how large their children must be. <gasps> giant, woman giant babies. <laughs> is probably about six foot, thick at the shoulders, not, not quite as large as Jebediah. Mm-hmm. But they're both just large, well-built people. Alright, so the 12-year-old is definitely taller than Remembrance, and possibly the 9-year-old's as well. Who knows? You would not be surprised. They they might be taller than pretty much everyone in this town already. <laughs> and Miriam just kind of m- rushes forward. And wraps you in a giant hug. Oh, uh, thank you. It's nice to meet you. Um, pleasure to be here. It is so good. It's been four years since we've had a dog. Sister Remembrance, we're just so glad you're here. My goodness, four years? Really? Yeah, I don't know if the temple just forgot about How did that happen? That's, that ain't right. You see how the winters get around here. And then the summers are basically just a runoff. Oh, of course. We ain't the easiest town to get to. Oh, yeah, it's... You must be real tough to stick it out here. Well, they say most of our families grow like mountains around here. Oh. Gosh, yeah, I guess so. And uh, and she says, you must be hungry. Oh, <laughs> 
You know, dogs, we always are. It's true. You are the dusty ones. She uh, she leads you back into the kitchen. And Jebediah, as you're walking away, says, Once you've eaten your fill, come on back. Uh, the room off to the right here. It's my oh, study. Thank you. Yes, of course. I'm sure there's a lot you must be wanting to talk to a dog about. We could certainly jaw all night, but I won't, I won't do that to you. But we should at least start talking business. Oh, yes, of course. And so he retires back to that room. And Miriam leads you to the kitchen. So, um, Sister Miriam, um, I've heard you've... Ah, twins, huh? That must... That, uh... It's a lot of twins. work. <laughs> it's better now. Oh, yeah. When, uh, when they were two or three... And little Titus was only five or six. It was a lot of work. Oh, gosh, yeah. I had to, you know, look after my little siblings when they were that age. Um, my parents had twins as well, and I spent so much time just trying to keep them clean and keep them from eating dirt, honestly. Oh, my, uh, my Mark and John went through one long dirt face. <laughs> oh, boys, I'll bet. What were your uh, what were your brothers' names? Oh, um, well, I've got a sister, Purity, and my uh, oldest brother's Worth, and I'm sure you know Mark and John are pretty common names after all. Oh, isn't that funny? Yeah, they are. They are mighty common. Actually, met a boy named Worth up at, up at the inn right now. Ain't that unusual? Oh yeah. Um. So, anything. Anything you think I should know about being in town while I'm here? Anything? She, uh, anything she gives I some keep bread an and some soup. And she says, Well, you notice, you'll notice that, uh, folks around here are a bit on edge. Oh, yes, of course. And the winter does that. But, uh, maybe about six months ago. Mm-hmm. She gets out a little notebook. She kind of nods as you're writing. Mm -hmm. About six months ago, a stranger came into town. He uh, shot the owner of the general store. Oh my goodness. Took money. They didn't ever catch him. But uh, that's what the fence around the town is kind of about. Oh, of course. I can imagine you'd want to protect your families. It's been a mite scary. I'm sure you know people are still rattled about that sort of thing? Yeah. Titus Bend. We've always been... been known for our hospitality. Oh, of course. Uh, she says, it does say right in the Book of Life, in Titus's book. Mm-hmm. Rather, he must be hospitable. One who loves what is good. Who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Exactly. Being named after Titus, we uh, we always tried to be hospitable. Of course, and that's something real admirable to aspire to, definitely. It just, it burns a little bit when I you're hate... hospitable. Someone kills one of your own. Of course, I can imagine it must... 
have come as a great shock to everybody. It was a mighty, mighty sad funeral. Indeed. Um, how is his? How is the his family doing? They're all right. Luckily, his boys were grown. Oh, definitely. Um, losing your parents can have such an effect on a grown kid. It can. But we've been making do. We uh, we set up the fence. Got guards. Mm-hmm. We're uh, living as best we can. Of course, and I'm sure you're doing a great job protecting yourselves. Well, thank you. And you dig into the food, and it is good. Brother Jebediah wasn't exaggerating when he said that his wife was one heck of a cook. I probably, you know, take some extra pieces of bread off the loaf to keep in my pockets for later. It's always good to have spare something about. You hear some rustling upstairs, which you imagine are the children. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ask her where her husband's study is. She leads you out of the kitchen and back into the entryway. She points at the door. He's right in there. All right, thank you, and I wish you and your children a good night, and um, I'll probably be at the inn tomorrow morning if you or they would like to speak to me. Thank you much. We'll uh, keep that in mind. It's no trouble at all. She heads back to the kitchen to tidy up a bit before bed. And I head into the study. You open the door, and it is lavishly furnished. There are some really nice, finely crafted wood chairs. Ooh-wee. A big desk, bookshelves covered in various books. And Brother Jebediah is sitting at the, uh, at the desk, drinking a glass of water, and looking over some of the papers you sent. Oh, goodness gracious, what in... This is a mighty fine collection of books you've got, sir. Oh, thank you, sister. My family... I guess collects is the word. Oh, that's... That's wonderful. Um, Now, your wife happened to tell me a bit about uh, the troubling incident that happened in the town a few months back, and that must have come as such a shock. I can't say how sorry I am. Well, thank you. That means quite a bit. Brother Peter was a good man. Always willing to help when a body needed help. Always welcomed the stranger in. He seems like a virtuous sort of fellow. He's, well, he, he seems like he was a virtuous sort of fellow, I mean. Um, and she sort of like perches awkwardly on the edge of one of the overstuffed armchairs. All v- virtue and honor and Goodness. Snuffed out before his time. Tragic. Heartbreaking. But what can you do? Of course, and, you know, I think it's a reasonable idea to try and put up a fence around the town, and, you know, if you'd like me to pray over his grave or over the fence or anything, then... Obviously, I'd be happy to do such a thing. I would be mighty fine to sister remembrance. As uh, as you're sitting there, perched on an overstuffed armchair, you hear a little bit of clatter. And at first, 
You just write it off. They have kids. You realize it came from beneath the house? Hmm. Not from upstairs. Hmm. Pardon me, did you hear that? I imagine it was one of the boys. Downstairs? Sounded upstairs to me. All right. He's, uh, jotting down some numbers on the, on the paper in front of him. Um, I, is, is there anything else, uh, you'd like to bring to my attention? I mean, obviously you know much more about the town than I do with what, you know, your family founding it and living here all these years and all. I've, I've just gotten here. There's not much I know. I mean, other than the incident with Brother Peter, not much of interest. We're a sleepy town. We do have quite a bit of work for a dog, but that can, that can wait till tomorrow. All right. Um, I suppose in that case, I sh- I'll be heading back to the inn before the snow gets too deep. That's a good plan, Sister Remembrance. I will have some mail for you. I wasn't uh-huh. quite expecting an adult to show up today. So I need to cross some T's, dot some I's. Of course, and you know, you can hand that off to me tomorrow morning. Perfect, perfect. Before I get preaching done. You, uh, you have a blessed night, Sister Remembrance. You too, brother. And he stands up and he shows you the door. So instead of like walking, walking right back to the inn, I think maybe she, she makes, you know, a circle of the house, listening, listening to the howl of the wind, listening to her own boots in the snow, and trying to see if she can hear anything else. You don't hear anything, but you do find around back a set of cellar doors, and they are chained up tight. Um, I'm going to knock real quiet. I try and see if there's a crack between the doors I can peer into or, you know, call out quietly. You knock. Does anything knock back? Nothing knocks back. For a moment, you think you might hear some shuffling. And maybe the rattle of a chain. But you realize it's just the rattling of the chains on the door. All right. Well, good night, cellar door. Go with God. And I head back to the inn, but I still, you know, keep looking behind myself every couple steps. As you're walking back, you see the light from what you imagine was the kitchen go out. But the light in the window of the study... It's going strong. And you get back to the end. And you see in kind of the clear darkness of the night with all those stars. Mm-hmm. The figures of Brother Harlan and Sister Eleanor standing at the gap in the, in the fence. I should take them some soup if there's any left in the kitchen. That would be mighty hospitable. You go inside. And sure enough, Sister Margaret still does have some soup. Mm-hmm. If you want to take it to him. Oh, yep. 
Yeah, I think I, um, you know, portion out two cups really carefully and cover them with handkerchiefs and walk really carefully, trying not to spill the hot soup on my gloves. You walk so careful, and you make it out to him, and you've only spilled the smallest amount, a drop or two. And just kind of waves of steam escape from underneath the handkerchief that you put on top as the hot soup meets the cold night air. Hello, uh, Sister Harlan, Brother Eleanor. Thought you might be cold out here in the snow. Well, Sister Remembrance, Brother Harlan says. Sister Eleanor just kind of gives you a grateful nod. Harlan finishes. That is mighty kind. And they both take up the soup and just kind of relief washes over their faces as they dig in. Yay. Sister Eleanor Mm -hmm. remains stoic and silent. Brother Harlan says, uh, How's your route been so far? Oh, um, honestly, cursed cold. uh, You know, the wind, it really gets to you when you're traveling alone. I keep thinking I saw things moving in the fog or other travelers way up ahead, and then I'd get there and there would be nothing, not even footprints. So, I'm glad to be out in civilization. I mean, I'm glad to be back in civilization again, and I hope I get to stay here at least a little while. Well, we certainly have some work for you. Harlan kind of gestures to Titus Ben, and he says, I don't Mm -hmm. know if I'd call this civilization, but it's better than the woods. Oh, definitely. Uh, anything you'd bring up in terms of the work that that I ought to do here? I mean, anything you think I'd, I'd ought to know about, brother? Nothing comes to the top of my mind. I mean, we got a lot of babies born in the last four years. Oh, definitely, of course. Few souls that need praying over. Oh, of course. Bodies that need praying over. Yes, I know there was a man called Brother Peter who got shot down by a stranger. Oh, yeah, you heard about that? Yes, it seems like it was a terrible thing to have happened. It was. Um, were, were, did you know him, then? I mean, as much as anybody knows any other body in a town like this, I helped him patch up a hole in his roof once. That's very neighborly of you, sir. Always try to do our best. As you're chatting, you see in the distance, kind of at the edge of the wood, couple of torches mm-hmm. moving closer. So I'm like, uh, you see that too, right? Not just my eyes having too much of the snow? Brother Harlan looks over and he says, oh no, must be a visitor. All right. And the torches get closer and you see two men. You know, my, my mentor's pistol is still in my pocket, but I've got my hand on it. You notice Eleanor and Harlan both have their hands on their pistols as well. Mm-hmm. 
the men coming up. One is walking. The other's on the back of a horse. The horse is kind of loaded down with pelts. They look like maybe fur traders or All right. something along those lines. So, probably honest travelers. Yeah. They don't look... I mean, you see... There's a rifle slung across the back of the horse. Mm-hmm. But neither of them are armed. And Harlan says, Why don't you all state your name and what you're doing here? And I'm like, Evening, brothers. May you walk in the ways of the Lord. They both kind of... And they acknowledge what you say. Mm-hmm. But it seems... Like, it doesn't set on them like other followers of the Book of Life. Mm-hmm. And the one on the horse speaks, and you're well-traveled enough to know that uh, these are obviously French-Canadian. Oh, uh, wow. They're very, that's very foreign. So, uh, they have very thick accents, and one of them says, We've just been traveling. And we need a place to stay for the night. Um, there's an inn. I'm actually going there myself. Brother Harlan says, Well, Sister Remembrance, visitors, we got a, a, a visitor's lodge. Yep. And uh, Harlan, Harlan looks at them and says, I'm going to need you to leave your weapons here with me. And there's a little bit of talk between the two men. Mm-hmm. Probably, fr- probably in French. Yeah. And one of them hands the rifle over. And the one on the ground reaches around back and pulls out a pistol. Mm-hmm. And hands it over. And says, we'll, we'll be expecting these back when we leave. And Harlan says... Of course, of course. Amen. You'll give them back when you leave. We just, we don't allow strangers to carry weapons here in Titus Bend. All right, makes sense. And Harlan says, Sister Eleanor, would you kindly take these gentlemen to the visitor's lodge? Is that the same as the inn, or is that something different? It's uh, it's down the the other street. All right. And so Eleanor begins to lead them. I, you know what? I think I think I want to see that just to see like what it looks like and know where it is for tomorrow. Okay. So you follow. Harlan gives you a good night, and so you get to the center intersection of the town, and where kind of directly across to the left mm-hmm. is the inn. Y'all hang a right and move down the road. Maybe about halfway down on the left is it's probably next to uh, Jebediah's house, the second biggest building Okay. in town. Two stories, a little bit smaller overall in size than Jebediah's house. Mm-hmm. And probably less like ornamented. Yes. Yeah. It looks, it looks almost like it might've been a storehouse. At one point in its history. Okay. And uh, Eleanor walks up to the door 
and pulls out a key and unlocks the door. Does Eleanor know I'm there? Yeah. All right. I, if, do you want Eleanor to know that you're there? Oh, no, I was just wondering. I mean, uh, I was getting the picture that you guys were kind of walking all over Oh, together. yeah. So I'm just, like, looking like, okay, so they're... Well, I mean, I'm not saying it, but I'm thinking, like, okay, so people are getting locked in for the night. That's hospitable. It does seem sketchy. Yeah. But she unlocks the door. And she leads them inside. Are you going to go in with them, or...? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it seems weird, and maybe not necessarily what they should be doing. And... I would like to, you know, see if I can get the kid back at the inn to give me any more information, but he's probably asleep this time of night anyway. See, this is a good starting point. You will go inside. And this was very obviously a warehouse. The whole first floor is open. And there's, it looks like a relatively new fireplace. Ooh. Built on one end that's keeping this house, or this building warm. Mm-hmm. And there are a bunch of, I wouldn't say uncomfortable looking beds, but not comfortable looking. Oh, yes. Yeah, so it's probably the sort of thing Remembrance knew a lot about growing up as the orphanage. Oh, certainly. It is. This could have been built by the same person. <laughs> yep. Kind of thin straw mattress thrown on a very quickly built frame. Mm-hmm. Typical. And, uh, this is the first time you've heard Eleanor speak. And she's got kind of a low voice. Mm-hmm. And she says, feel free to warm yourself by the fire. Thank you, I appreciate all the wood you've left us. And she motions over to, like, a small row of shelves. She says there's, there's hardtack, some jerky... I fill my pockets. And uh, motions to the bed and says to the two French-Canadian gentlemen, you can take whatever bed you like. So as soon as Eleanor leaves, um, I feel like, remember, um, she cle- she's got her mentor's revolver and I feel like cleaning it and, you know, Taking out all the bits and putting stuff back again. I don't know how guns work. It's sort of like a rosary for her. Something to do with her hands while she prays. So she's going to sit with the sit by the fire and take the pistol and take the revolver apart and put it back together again and probably say her prayers before she goes to sleep. Alright. So Remembrance begins kind of her ritual of the night. And you hear the definitive sound of that key slipping back into the lock and turning. Cool. Okay. And the two traders, I guess they left their horse outside. Mm-hmm. We'll say that Eleanor said that she would take it down to the inn for them and it'll be at the stables. So they have kind of pulled two chairs over to the fire and are kind of taking off the various wet bits of their clothes. Big mood. Laying, laying it next to it. And they sit there. 
And they pull up pipes and just begin to talk in French. Mm-hmm. I feel like I definitely don't know French. So they're chatting, and you are disassembling a gun, your gun, and polishing all of the parts. And saying my prayers like a good dog. Saying your prayers. Like a rosary, I imagine you have specific prayers that go with specific parts of it. Oh, yeah, definitely. So you're doing that when a nagging thought interrupts your prayers. Oh, boy, what? There's a family that Eleanor led to this building earlier today. What? And they're not here. At least that you can see on this first floor. Uh-huh. Um, well, I'm definitely going to go upstairs and see if they're upstairs. You go upstairs. And the second floor is still being used as a storehouse. Uh-huh. So there are large barrels of, like, dried beans... And flour. Oh, well, that's probably the stuff where, where the stuff of the soup comes from. Nice. Yeah. There are a couple extra beds up here, some furniture. Just general bric-a-brac. I appreciate you, food. But there's no family. Okay. Hmm. What do you do? I guess maybe try and tap on the walls, put my ear to the walls, see if I hear anything. Is there a window? I don't think so. It's okay. a storehouse. So there probably wouldn't be any windows just in case it, it, it does you don't want any light. Right, yeah, that makes sense. things that would be injured by light. Mhm. You tap on the walls upstairs at least they all sound solid. Alrighty. I'm going to head back downstairs and poke around some more. All right. You begin poking around, and the two French-Canadian gentlemen kind of cast strange looks in your direction. I wave at them, and I'm like, uh, bonjour. Oh, bonjour. Bonjour. Francais? No. <laughs> and one of them laughs and says... We do not speak very much English, so we understand. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for some people who were here. They kind of look at each other and shrug. What What can we do to help? Um, tap on the walls and the floor and tell me if anything sounds hollow. Okay. Okay. So they get up and they they have their pipes. And they begin kind of wandering the area and, like, tapping their heels. They've taken their boots off. Their boots were soaked. I feel I feel like Remembrance can't get her boots off by herself this time of year. Yeah, that's probably uh, a legitimate concern. But so they're tapping their bare heels here and there. Mm-hmm. And you go about kind of tapping the walls. 
and one of them calls out, Come, come here. Yes? What is it? And I run over to him. When you run over, he taps his foot on an area of the floor, and it is definitely hollow. Ooh, hmm. I'm gonna, like, poke around and try and see if there's, like, a latch or if I can lift one of the floorboards or anything. You fiddle with it a bit, and eventually you find a kind of, not hidden, but somewhat concealed (gasps) latch. Oh, boy! That you can kind of pull up, Mm -hmm. and a whole part of the floor lifts up, (gasps) and there's stairs leading down. Oh my goodness gracious. Um. And he says, well, that is an odd place to hide stairs to a basement. Maybe you should stay here. I'm a dog. I can take care of myself. All right. And they kind of walk back over to the fire, sit down and continue smoking their pipes. Um, and I... Oh, I know. I can take, like, a branch from the woodpile and, like, light it and have sort of a torch to carry down with me down the staircase. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. You put a little, like, cloth around it. Yep. From one of the beds. And light it. And you head down the stairs. And it is a kind of rough-hewn stone pathway. It's not a basement. That Uh leads, your torch reveals enough to know that it just goes straight ahead into the darkness. Um, I'm I'm probably sort of like humming just because it's so quiet. It is eerily silent. Mm -hmm. So you're humming Mm -hmm. in this kind of utter silence. I probably every so often I stop and pause and check if I hear anything. There's still just silence. And you've moved now what feels like maybe about a quarter of a mile. Holy crap. And it's still just going straight ahead. Okay. And you move further. And eventually you find yourself Uh at a dead end. All right. And from, it's not a stone dead end. It feels like wood in front of you. Okay. You hear beyond it what sounds like the rattling of chains. Oh, we must be, maybe we're under the mayor's cell. The mayor's cellar in that case. Feels feels like you've traveled far enough for that to be the case. Yeah. With with your lack of direction sense. I do have the little map that um, Sister Margaret at the end drew for me, though. That's true. So I think looking at it and kind of figuring out, you locate what you think is the building. Yeah, for once I know where I am. And then you kind of figure out Okay, I went down the stairs, and I think it was this direction. And you realize that this 
almost certainly is the basement at the mayor's house. Okay. So I'm like, hello? Maybe I tap on the wood a little. Like... You hear the rattle of chains in response to your knocking. And then you hear a very low voice. Oh boy. Say, hello? Hello, I'm... I'm Sister Remembrance Blue Bradshaw. I'm a dog. Who are you? Are you one of them? I'm I'm a dog. I don't know what that means. Um I travel the country and I do the Lord's work and I preach. Um and sometimes I do exorcisms. Um I haven't had to do any of those yet though. But I probably could. Probably. The other one said he was doing the Lord's work too. Do you have a name? Um, how long have you been down here? Who are you? As you listen to this voice, you think this sounds like the gentleman at the gate from earlier. And he says, I'm, I'm Thomas. I've only been here, I think, a few hours. But there's others. How many? He's silent for a moment. And he says, Well, there's my wife and son. And then there's six others. (gasps) Most of them are too weak to talk. Oh my goodness. They were here when, when we got here. When they took us here. So, out of character, what's the layout of this? Like, am I talking to him, like, through a wall or through a door? Yeah, there's... You think it's probably kind of like a secret door? hmm That you're pressed up against. It's made out of, like, heavy wood. Alright. Is there any sort of lock that I know of? As you explore, you kind of find a way to push at the, the door. And it feels like it probably isn't meant to open up. Well, I'm traits. I'm stubborn as a mule, 1d10. That, uh, what else do you have on you other than your gun? I've got my gun. I feel like I've probably, um, string. I've got like a half-finished embroidery or cross-stitch project that I keep telling myself I'm going to work on, but then I take it out and like stare at it and put it back. I've got, you know, hairpins, hair ribbons, probably a couple small books and something to write with. So, you think you're going to need a little bit of force to get this door open? So, there's a couple options. You could go back to the storehouse and see if you could find an axe or a hammer. Or you could use your gun. But the gun is definitely going to alert other people to your presence. Ooh. Hmm. And I can't pick the lock? No, it seems, however this is designed, that it is not meant to open from the direction you're coming. Oh, drat. Hmm. You know what? Um, if I go back up, you know, I might be putting the people in more danger and I might... You know, they might be moved while I'm dithering, or... Yeah, I'm gonna shoot off the lock. I'm a dog. 
Awesome. So I think what happens here is you kind of shoot a hole in the... Uh... I mean, obviously, I warn him first, and I try to, like, maybe muffle it by wrapping it in, like, my scarf or something. Okay. So you wrap your scarf around it, and he kind of gives you directions of, like, where to aim your gun. Uh-huh. That won't shoot someone. <laughs> Yeah, that's very important. So I probably you fire it off. I probably, you know, pray pray a little bit before I pull the trigger just because I don't know what's gonna happen next. Understandable. <laughs> so you mutter a prayer. Then you pull the trigger. And you're able to reach through and find the mechanism that opens the door. Yes. And it swings open. And you find yourself in a stone basement. Uh-huh. There are, I'm going to say, five adults, three men, and two women who have been chained to the walls. Ooh. And in the far corner, there's a cell. And there are three children. Oh. <gasps> Asleep on the stone floor. Well, I don't have enough bullets for all this, but I do have enough hairpins. <laughs> you got plenty of hairpins. Yep. That's one of the things my mentor taught me because, you know, he's been a dog for forever. He's probably got a bunch of occasions where, you know, some police sheriffs who were possessed by demons tried to throw him in jail or somebody tried to, you know, tie him up and drown him in a river. And I've learned a couple tricks from him, and picking locks is one of them. Excellent. So as you walk in, prepared to start picking these locks, you noticed that the adults in this room are in various stages of undress, and carved into their skin are verses from the Book of Life. You see... A man, maybe in his late 30s, -hmm. unconscious, his shirt removed, and I am the way, the truth, the life. It's carved into his chest. One of the women has the bottom part of her dress removed, and there are Versus, above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Well, it's very unsettling that somebody would carve that into somebody else's skin. Um, I'm pretty sure that, you know, write the words of our Lord on the doorposts of your heart was not literal. Definitely not literal. That is very accurate. One of the other men... In his chest has, the king will say to those, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. Well, I really don't like that somebody carved it into somebody's skin. And when, when I get these poor people out of the cellar, when I get you out of the cellar, I will absolutely go looking for some antiseptics to make sure those cuts do not get infected. That was very... Very bad thing of somebody to do. 
the man you are talking to, the second you see him, it's obviously the husband from the group that was at the gate before you. Mm-hmm. He is the only conscious person in the room. And he says, I I don't know what's happening, but you have to help us. What do I do? What, what's wrong? I mean, I, apart from the obvious, which is that you've been trapped here and stabbed. We were told we could stay one night in the visitor's lodge. Yes. And we were unpacking and oh. sitting down uh-huh. to eat some food. And a door in the floor of the room opened. All right. And a giant man came out. He drug us here. A giant... Oh, oh shit, that's probably the mayor. Oh, sorry for swearing. I I, God, you didn't hear that. I don't know if that's who it was, but he told us that if we didn't if we didn't accept the book of life, he'd kill us. Well, that is absolutely not how you convert people. And as a dog, I definitely have something to say about that, which is that I very much disapprove and and have some food here. Actually, uh, this might be drugged. Uh, okay. Here, I've got some penny candy. It's not much, but I know for sure it's not drugged. All right. He takes it. And looks relieved a little bit. All right. As relieved as one could look in this scenario. And you hear from above you the creak of the floorboards. And you hear footsteps. Oh, okay. <sighs> Is there anywhere I can hide? There are a few crates and a few barrels about that you might be able to... I mean, I suppose Sister Remembrance is small enough that she might be able to fit in one of them. Mm-hmm. Or could crouch down behind. Um, okay. That would at least obscure you for a little bit. Alrighty. Uh, yeah. I definitely hide. And I've got my pistols in case I need them. Alright. You draw your pistols out and you duck down behind some barrels. Oh no, I'm in the barrel with the lid pulled closed over me. Okay. So you hear a door open, and then you hear large footsteps. Okay. Coming down the steps, and you hear Brother Jebediah's voice. Uh-huh. Well, well, well. I heard a gunshot, and you hear him slap one of the people, and there's like a low moan as the man with... You you imagine from where it sounds no. like it's coming from, that it's the man with, I am the way, the truth, the life. 
carved into his chest, moans. And Jebediah says, I can't imagine it was you that fired that gun. Oh, boy. But you probably know where they are. Oh, shit. <laughs> the man moans. And you, you don't think you have to be too worried? He was one of the ones that was unconscious. Uh-huh. But if he questions Thomas, the man you had been speaking to, I mean, you would hope that well, Thomas... Yes, because I'm here to rescue him. Yeah. But you also don't know if Thomas can stand up to torture. No. And the man but hopefully that he's not slapped. going to torture somebody this late at night when he's already done a lot of work. <laughs> you could hope. And he says, where did that gunshot come from? And the man he's talking to just kind of moans. Okay. Did you hear a thud as Jebediah punches him in the stomach. And you hear a... Like... Not a scream, but the closest thing to a scream someone who has been chained to the wall for at least days could make. I'm just, like, silently hyperventilating. And then he walks over to Thomas... Hey, this pro- <laughs> this probably totally reminds Remembrance of when her parents used to beat up her little siblings. And he says, oh, looks like you've been awake, worrying over your wife and child, maybe. Why don't you tell me where that gunshot came from? <sighs> and Thomas says, I didn't see nothing. I, I, I heard the noise and it woke me up. But I ain't seen no one. Uh-huh. And there's a slap. And then there's this small tinking sound as the penny candy you gave him <gasps> flies out of his mouth and skitters across oh, the floor. Shit. Okay. And so he what says, happens next? Well, I certainly didn't give that to you. And you hear Jebediah walk the other side of the room. My plan is to, like, wait till he checks the barrel I'm in, and then, like, shoot him in the shoulder or something that'll knock him back enough for me to dodge past him, because, you know, I may not be the best shot, but <laughs> but you can't miss when somebody's right in front of you. And also being shot in the shoulder definitely sh- slows somebody down a bit. That is very true. So that's that's what I'm going for. All right, so you're in the barrel, prepared. You've got your pistol gripped in your hands. Did you hear Jebediah pull something off the wall? Okay. And he walks back over to Thomas and says, Outsider, I have a hard time believing you. And you hear a ripping sound as what you imagine happens is Jebediah drags a knife of some sort down Thomas's shirt. 
You know what? It is it is probably a sin for me to just sit here in a barrel and watch this happen, so I'm just gonna try and pop up real stealthily and then shoot him in the shoulder. Alright. Because we're still in the same room, and I probably still can't fucking miss. It's true. He is not terribly far from Yeah, because, like, you know, Remembrance isn't the best shot, but it's not like they need glasses or anything. They've got, you know, normal depth perception. It's true. So, we're going right to gunfighting, which is acuity plus will. And then, in addition to that... Uh-huh. So you get your acuity plus will. What was oh, the quality boy. of your gun? Um, the quality... Um, it's very, so I've got a single shot pistol, 1d6 plus d4, but that was what I used to, um, shoot off the lock. Also, my cat's here, you may have heard him meowing. I did. Um, and I've got my mentor's revolver, which is 2d6 plus 1d4. Alright, are you using the revolver? I'm using the revolver. Alright, so you'll get 2d6 plus a, a d4 added right. to that. So, I'm gonna... I'm going to roll for Acuity plus Will, and then roll for the Revolver separately, because I've only got, like, 10d6s, which is a normal fucking amount. Yeah. <laughs> Not for this game. Alright, four. And four. Alright, so that's three, six. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. So three ones, two twos, two threes, and a six. And then for Mementor's Revolver, I've got, oops, drop that one. I've got two fives plus a two. All right. That's a good pull. So I, on this side, I'm going to say that Jebediah's Acuity Mm -hmm. actually is not super high. Yeah, and also he probably wasn't expecting to be shot by the people he'd been successfully keeping prisoner for, like, weeks on end in his own root cellar. Very true. Um, his will is pretty high, though. So I'm gonna give him 8d6. Oh boy. (laughs) And then, he also has 3d10. What the the fuck? For the demonic forces at work here. Thanks, I hate it. (laughs) You know, can I roll for my mentor who practically raised me because he'd probably be proud of what a dumbass I'm being right now? Yeah, so I think, what? let's go over, I think your mentor relationship definitely counts. Alright. Shit, okay, I just rolled really bad. (laughs) Oh, that's not great. And then what personality traits do you have? Um, well, the ones that I think might be relevant would be, um, I'm stubborn as a mule, and I grew up in an orphanage. Stubborn as a mule, definitely. Let's hear your rationale for the orphanage. Because I was basically a prisoner of my parents, and I was there when a... You know, I was there when the dog shot them, and that was something that made a huge impact on my life. So, you oh, know, definitely. now I'm trying to be be the person for these kids that my mentor was for me. I think that's perfect. So definitely roll that as well. 
Will a five. That'll fucking do. Okay. And then Jebediah is also going to get 2d8. Uh, because he has a big, high-quality knife. When you pop up, mm. you see the knife. Thanks, I hate it. <laughs> the knife he used to cut open Thomas's shirt is just a huge Bowie knife. Well, good thing I left the trap door open behind me, and the French-Canadian guys probably heard the shots and maybe are on their way right now. That could be. I fucking hope. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Alright, so you are initiating. So you put forward two dice. Great. Um, two fives. Alright. Well, the good news is that he cannot see that with only one die. Ooh, okay. Okay. So he is also going to put forward a ten to block or dodge. Alright. So I think you pop out and you point your revolver and you pull the trigger. Uh-huh. And if Jebediah had not been possessed by a demon, you probably would have dropped him right here. Okay. Okay. <laughs> he could have. He, he could feel your presence, and so you pull the trigger, and he's able to step out of the way. Since he didn't reverse the blow, since he just blocked or dodged, I'm going to say that the bullet hits to the wall and not Thomas. Okay, great. And he says, oh, Sister Remembrance, I was not expecting you. You know, there are ways to get people to convert to the one true religion, and starving them to death and carving things into their skin is not it. You are doing a sin, and as a dog, I am mad about it. Thanks. And he smiles, and he says, It says in the Book of Life, Sister Remembrance, it is our job to share your food with the hungry, and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, clothe them. Yeah, um, you would be doing a lot better job of that. Thanks. These souls are naked without the Book of Life. And I'm just trying to bring them to God. No, you're supposed to literally give food to people who are starving to death. Literally. Hmm. Um, the the book is very clear on that one. So he's going to put forward... A 12. Lunch at you with his large bowie knife. Oh, okay. Okay. So I can make that, but with three dice. Okay. I so, probably get a little bit stabbed. Just a little bit. So, I will mark down. So when you take the blow. Okay. It means there will be fallout at the end of combat. Super! Hey, can I, like, do exorcism ritual shit in his direction aggressively while I'm trying to fend him off? Oh, you can. So, of these things, I think the only two you can't do is calling by name 
Mm-hmm. Because you don't know the demon's name. Yeah. And three in authority. Yep. But all of the rest of those, all dogs usually carry sacred earth on them. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to yeet some, I'm going to, I'm going to yeet some dirt into his face while invoking the ancients and recite and singing singing at him aggressively. Excellent. So you get to add a D8, a D4, and a D6. You know what? By the power of his holy word and mercy, uh, dirt in your face! And I, God is very unhappy with you right now. The, The dirt hits his face and his skin begins to smoke and blister and turn red. Brother Jeremiah, I call upon you to fight these unholy forces within you. And I, and, and I rolled pretty well, actually, so that's a nine. Oh, so you might actually be able to see his 12 with less than three dice. Uh. Maybe. I can see his 12 with three dice. Okay, so you're seeing his 12 with three dice still. So you, as he lunges at you with this large knife, it looks almost like he's weeping blood at this point as his skin blisters and melts away. And you, you're able to shimmy out of the way. And so he doesn't get you like right in the center of the gut, Mm -hmm. but his knife does cut you Along your side. Yeah, probably at least, like, nicks a rib. And I'm going to, you know, try and discharge all my bullets into him so that he can't use the pistol to... So that he can't, you know, rest the pistol for me and use it against me. All right. So you... And I can... Saw. So we clear those dice now. Yep. Do I re-roll? Two more. Oh, nine. All right. So he is going to see your nine... Okay. With two dice. So it's a block or dodge. You can't, you can't reverse the blow. So you unload another round. Alright. Does and he use his he... demonic powers to make it miss or something? Actually, you know what? I think it hits him. And it hits him in the shoulder. It doesn't hit him necessarily in an incredibly vital place. Uh-huh. And it goes clean through him. And you can see the distant wall through the hole in his shoulder. Okay. And he just kind of cracks his shoulders and gives you this awful grin. The dirt that you threw is continuing to burn at his face. And his skin is beginning to crack. And so you can see bits of, like, gum and teeth where his lips have begun to crack open. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously that's horrifying. (laughs) Yeah. And then I think he's gonna put forward two dice. Okay. And it is a ten. (sighs) And he's going to throw the bowie knife at you. So, um, all I have left is twos and threes. Um, so, 
I can't make that. <laughs> Let's see what else you could do. You could make the sign of the tree. That would give you a Yes. I could make the sign of the tree and anything else? What other uh, what other personality traits do you have? I believe the best of people. I grew up in an orphanage. I'm a dog. And I have 5d6 relationship die available. So, two things. You could add I'm a dog in. Because there are very few scenarios in this game where yeah. I'm a dog doesn't count. Alright, so that's, that's one more three. And. One of the things that I love about this game is when you have open relationship dice, you can assign them just randomly and say, like, oh, I have have this relationship now. Yeah, I mean, obviously I care a lot about the little kids who are locked up in a cell because they remind me of my siblings who I, when I was a child, I was barely able to protect from my own parents who were possessed by demons. And I will fucking die before I see any more kids get hurt. Thanks. Peace out. I think you could add relationship dice as many as you wanted for the children. You could also potentially add relationship dice for the French-Canadian furriers. And that could essentially be like maybe they come to help you. Yeah, all right. And that adds those dice. So 3d6, let's go with 3d6 for the kids and then maybe 1d6 each for the French-Canadians. All right. So you can add all five of those. Please things. let this. Please let this be a good fucking roll. I am like moving everything away, so I'll have like the whole table. Oh, thank God. Okay, okay. So now, what do I have to beat? It's a ten. Oh yeah, I can do that. I can do a four and two threes. There you go. Boom. So that'll be some fallout, but still beat it. Okay. Still meet it. So I think that just as the Bowie knife is flying at you, the two fur trappers kind of bust in, and the children begin to make all sorts of racket to distract Jebediah. Woo! And that's able to let you get through. Hey, if he's thrown his knife at me and missed, does that mean he doesn't have the knife anymore? He does not have the knife. He did not miss, because there is fallout. Okay. But it's nowhere near as bad as it could have been. Yeah. So it grazes your shoulder and then sticks into the wooden door behind you. But he is knifeless. Do you have reinforcements? I have reinforcements and probably a bullet or two left. Yeah. So, uh... We clear our dice away, and you put out two. All right. <sighs> New roller, just with the... With the dice you have left. With the rapidly diminishing the dice I have left. Yeah. Seven. So you're putting out a seven? Yeah. I think that Jebediah is going to see your seven, but with three dice. <gasps> so Jebediah is going to have some fallout. Brother Jebediah, I command you to reject this demonic influence. You put the bullet through his leg, and his knee snaps and bends backward. But he keeps walking forward on it. And he says, 
the Lord of life has shown me what I must do. And his skin is still cracking and smoldering and burning. And he reaches out those gigantic hands and he's going to try to strangle you. And he is putting forward a six. You know what I think I can roll? I believe I believe the best of people, which is 2d4. And, you know, I believe I believe that he can fight this, and I believe that there's got to be something of that man who cared about his town and his children that's still in there and can help me right now. I think that's fair. All right, so let me... Thank God I have a giant bag of dice. Yes, okay. I can make that with two dice. There you go. Yep, that's a six with two dice. All right. So he lunges at you. He wants to choke you. How do you get out of the way? I think I headbutt him in the stomach instead. Okay. So it is your turn to put forward two dice? All right. Five. All right. He is out of dice. Oh, shit. So you can't see your five. Ooh. So what are you doing to him? You know what? I'm gonna... Well, I'm gonna kick him in the stomach so he stops trying to strangle me. But then I'm going to lay on hands and start praying over him. Excellent. Probably very tearfully and while shaking uncontrollably in a way that's unnerving to everybody present. But I pray over him because I'm a dog and that's what we do. It is. It is what the dogs do. So you kick Jebediah in the stomach. And somehow... And my boots are... And also, like, my boots are frozen solid, so... Yeah, so you got some extra weight there. Yeah. And he impossibly falls backwards. The strength of your conviction is enough. And that stubbornness is enough to drop him back to the ground. Even though someone his size should never be able to be low. Like <laughs> no that. shit, Sherlock. <laughs> and then you place your hand on his forehead. And you feel the kind of stickiness of his warm blood. Yes. That's oozing out from the cracks in the skin. And you begin to pray. Oh God, please heal this man. Please let him be saved um, in the way I couldn't save my mama and my papa. Please let him be saved because he's got three of his own little ones and a wife at home. Thank you. Amen. And as you pray, he lets out just this awful scream. And as he's screaming, bits of his lip fall off. And so now his mouth is just this wide, gaping hole. Thanks, I hate it. (laughs) And you see his whole body tense and then visibly relax. (sighs) And you feel that the presence is gone. And through his tattered busted face Jebediah says thank thank you um sorry about your face 
Also your knee. And uh, he passes out. Uh, you don't know if it's really possible to save him at this point. Oh, yeah. He's got a gunshot through the shoulder, gunshot through the knee. His face is all jacked up. But a doctor might be able to get to him. Mm-hmm. But first, I'm going to need you to roll six eight-sided dice. Do I? All right. Uh, let me see if I've got six eight-sided dice. All right. Well, I've got five eight-sided dice. I'll roll one of them twice. All right. Uh. So, you didn't have any ones, correct? Correct. So you don't get experience. And then you add your two highest together. All right. So six and seven. So So that's that's... 13. Yep. So you are injured, but not badly injured. Well, I mean, yeah, I got stabbed. (laughs) Yeah. So you have to roll your body. Oh, boy. (laughs) That's 2d6. That's not the best. Because I'm, I'm a tiny stubborn as hell. Yep. So body is nine. Uh, All right. Is that good, or do I also need to roll a uh, stubborn as a mule? Yeah, roll stubborn as a mule. All right. That's a ten. All right. So body plus being stubborn as a mule is uh nineteen. All right. So you're fine. All righty. Uh, you will recover without medical attention. So you are you're hurting, obviously. Yep. But but I mean, you know, you know I okay. haven't been shot, so I'm gonna like tr- tie a tourniquet around his knee and his shoulder and try and maybe I don't know, just at least right. put some clean handkerchiefs over the gaping hole in his face. Uh, I've probably got like some antiseptic or something that I can pour on it. So I am gonna roll his fallout. Oof! Oh boy. <laughs> Well, that was not good for him. So he is badly injured. Okay. One away from death, because I rolled a 10 and a 9. All right. But yeah, so you think he is dying, but Mm -hmm. if you got him to the doctor quick enough, he'd be okay. All right, so um, what about the... Can I exit this so that I, you know, we exit at the mayor's root cellar end of this tunnel thing? Yes. So you see the doors that you had seen earlier mm-hmm. that lead out to the backyard. And do you think that if you shot through them, you could probably blow the chain off? Yeah, I've, I've got a bullet or two left. I can do that. All right. So you shoot through and throw them open. The uh, French-Canadian... Fur trappers will help you carry him. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna run to the house and start banging on the door. Because, okay. you know, getting frostbite won't help anybody in this situation. So I think Miriam comes down, and what do you what do you say to her? Hi, a demon tried to kill your husband. It's a very long story. Um, we need a doctor. She... And also, all these people probably need... At least some bread, and probably also a doctor. Do you have a horse I can borrow? Silent for a moment. Uh, where's a doctor? Thanks. Uh, uh, and she gives you directions. Okay. Uh, three houses down on the right. All right. 
you know, it's probably close enough that I can just, like, book it and I don't need a horse. It's definitely close yeah, enough. It's it's on this road before the central intersection. Yeah, so that's another door to bang on and screaming, like, open up! I just fought a demon! People are dying! Thanks! Sorry to have woken you! So you get the doctor out, and the doctor sets to work. Okay. The, uh, Jebediah obviously needs the most immediate attention. Yeah. Luckily, the bullet went clean through in both shots. Mm-hmm. So he's able to get it cauterized and, and wrapped. And then he goes about seeing the folks who have yeah. book of life versus. And, you know, I probably know guys. a bit. I probably know at least a bit about first aid, so I can, yeah, you can help. help out. Yep. And everyone is seen to. Okay. And I think that's a good place to wrap our session. Woo! Thank you for listening to You Are Not Alone. Thank you to NS Rook Bash for playing. Check them out on Twitter at NS Rook Bash. That's E-N-N-I-S-R-O-O-K-B-A-S-H-E. Thank you to Vincent Baker for the incredible game Dogs in the Vineyard. The game is not currently available for purchase, but you should check out Vincent and Meg's other games over at Lumpley, L-U-M-P-L-E-Y, dot itch, dot I-O. Our theme song is Everybody Knows My Name by Harley Poe. Thank you to Joe Whiteford for letting us use it. Join me on Thursday, May 9th, when I sit down with Everything is Awesome's Kevin Gallagher to play the happiest apocalypse on Earth. Until then, remember that you are strong, you are beautiful, and you are not alone. Turn a team.